Good morning. You're a little bit more awake than that. Good morning. Thank you. I heard Doug. Thank you, everybody, but also Doug. Uh, my name is Matt Sawada. I uh, have the, the privilege to be one of the pastors here at LEFC. And once again, it, it really is a privilege to open up God's word with you on this morning. Uh, in light of that, if you need a Bible, I've got some friends coming down these aisles or going up those stairs. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Maybe you forgot it. Maybe you don't have one. Um, please feel free. They would love to, to hand one to you. Uh, just as a heads up, we're going to be flying through a lot of text today in different places talking about peace. And so the version app, which is the, the Bible app on many of your phones, if you go to the events tab, all of the verses are listed sequentially in, in that app. So it might be helpful to do that. So just know we're going to land in two different places. I'll have you turn to those, but we'll be We'll be popping in and out of uh, different letters, different epistles. Well, this morning, I have the privilege to, to preach the fourth sermon in a series titled Recalibrate. I, I think, we think this is an absolutely essential series. Every single one of us needs to recalibrate to God's standard. This is a, a reminder that he sets the standard, not me, not you. This is a reminder that, that this life that we are living is about his kingdom. It's not about mine. It's not about yours. And so this series of recalibrate, we are, we are resetting to the, to the standard, to the nature that he has given us. There's a resetting that is happening and it is dethroning us and it is elevating him. So as we've looked at Galatians 5 these last couple weeks, we've begun to realize that it's in a commitment to God through Jesus Christ that we discover this new nature, this new standard to recalibrate to that reflects the selfless and outgoing love of God himself. In Galatians 5, Paul gives us a list of, of nine traits. Alex recited them earlier for us. He's given us these nine traits that the Apostle Paul terms as the fruit of the Spirit. So pop quiz this morning, can you recite them with me? This is Galatians 5, 22 and 23. In it, it says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and... Hey, you did that one on your own. Well done. You did it. You got all nine. You see, these traits are character qualities that the Spirit births in us. They're descriptors of what that fruit looks like. Today we're going to tackle the third. We're going to talk about peace. But before we jump into that specific one, I want to look at the first three real quick. Because I think the first three of those nine, love, joy, and peace, are just a little different. And I think scripture supports that. We see in Ephesians chapter 3, 
the end of that, the beautiful first three theological chapters in that book, that in Paul, as he prays for this church, he's praying that they would know this love that surpasses knowledge. Surpasses knowledge. It goes beyond what we can know. In, in 1 Peter, the apostle Peter, writing in his epistle, says in verse eight that you, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. So we see that love in this list of nine surpasses knowledge. We see that joy is inexpressible and glorious. And this morning, we're gonna see in Philippians chapter four, in this epistle, that Paul writes that the peace of God transcends all understanding. So, love surpasses knowledge. Joy is inexpressible. Peace transcends understanding. You see, these first three are beyond us. They're outside humanity. You can't, you can't force yourself to be peaceful. This is something that he births in us. That, that he allows then our actions and attitudes to reflect. And so this morning as we look at the third adjective that Paul uses to describe what this fruit of the spirit looks like, peace, my hope is that you would not only understand where the source of this peace lies, but you'd have the tools to actually then experience the fruit. This morning, the journey we're gonna be on, we're gonna talk a little bit about culture. I think that culture is seeking peace because we've been created for this peace. This peace is attainable through Jesus and we'll describe peace by looking how it affects three different relationships, three pretty key ones in our lives. And lastly, we'll spend a moment or two talking about what it looks like to actually experience this peace. My prayer for this morning has been Colossians 3, verse 15, that the peace of Christ would rule in our hearts. Would you pray that with me real quick before we begin? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your son Jesus, the Prince of Peace. We, we thank you for the, the opportunity we have through a relationship with him to now walk by your spirit in this peace, that this peace can rule our hearts, that your word can dwell in us richly. Lord, we ask this morning as we study one of these qualities the spirit produces, Father, we'd have a clearer picture of you, of your son, and your spirit. Lord, we ask that as we see who you are, we would then leave changed. We love you. We commit these moments to you and we pray this in your name. Amen. You know, let's take a minute. I'd like to just think of the money that is spent every year by people 
pursuing peace. It's significant. I can't put a dollar amount to it. But I I want you to think of the, the diplomats, the ambassadors that fly around from nation to nation, signing peace treaties and attending peace summits. They're trying to seek peace between nations. I I should have looked it up. I don't know how many ambassadors the United States has across the world. Think of our court system. It is jam-packed with cases looking for the restoration of peace. Families, neighbors, employers, employees, looking for justice and peace. Are there any counselors here this morning? Raise your hand. Any counselors out there? We love you guys. Thanks for what you do. You are essential. Locally, our counselors are booked with people looking over individuals and families looking to these professional counselors in this space and outside this space. They're looking to them. To, they're seeking peace from addictions or abuse or situations that they're in the midst of. Peace is something that these counselors are trying to help their patients provide. Anyone been on a vacation yet? Got a couple hands, nice. Anyone going on a vacation later? A couple more hands, excellent, there you go. You know, on a lighter note, vacations are scheduled as the individuals and families try to escape the everyday chaos of life, hoping to find peace. Maybe it's peace of mind or peace and quiet from, from all the things. They're looking for this while maybe laying in the sand or swimming in the water or climbing that mountain. We see people across the world looking for, to a vacation to provide peace. And I get it. There have been seasons in my life where I've need counselors. There's been seasons in my life, actually later this summer, our family is retreating to our, we, we have a, some family in northern Maine. It's a small lobster fishing village. It's idyllic. It's peaceful. We bemoaned the fact that they actually have a cell tower there now. Great for the residents, bad for the vacationers disturbs my peace. How could they? You see, but vacations, diplomats, court systems, counselors, these are all attempts to find peace in temporary ways, right? Many of us, how, we've gone on vacation. How many of us are in this category where you've gone away on vacation and then return actually needing a vacation from your vacation? You've experienced that exhaustion? I'd say you, you might... He probably didn't find peace in that. You see, when we try to recalibrate to our own standard of peace, it's fleeting. We often end up creating exactly the opposite. You recited with me at Galatians 5, and 23. Well, right before that in 19, 20, and 21 are the fruits of the flesh. Things like enmity, strife, division, dissension, rivalry, and anger. 
And when we try to calibrate to a standard that is not God's, these are the fruits that then are produced. The ones that are not from the Spirit. See, I think the first step in recalibrating to the God-like quality of peace that the only the Spirit actually births in us is remembering that we were actually created for it. See, believe it or not, just as I just said, we as humans, our human race, were created to experience this perfect peace. Think about Genesis 1 and 2. That was the relationship that Adam and Eve were birthed into. There was no sin. There was no fruits of that flesh. Adam and Eve lived a life that were absent from these current day realities. They enjoyed perfect shalom. Perfect peace is what humans were birthed into. And we see that our God is a God of order who created all things in perfect harmony with each other. That everything was created by him to exist in the fullest relationship with him. And we as humans were created in his image to experience this beautiful relationship with our creator in perfect peace. For years, all of creation lived in this perfect shalom, this perfect peace. But then Genesis 3 happens. And those relationships are disturbed, they're distorted, they're disrupted, and that perfect peace is shattered. What was now isn't. Can can you imagine being Adam and Eve living in that perfect love, that perfect joy, that perfect peace that surpasses knowledge, that is inexpressible and glorious and surpasses understanding? And now all of a sudden, they don't have it? Can you imagine that getting ripped from them because of their sin? You see, we were born into this, right? And because of Jesus, we can experience peace. They experienced it and lived in it. And now we're lacking it. See, we as humans were created for that kind of relationship. And thankfully, our God of peace is in the business of reconciliation. He's taking humans who are on this side of the garden and reconciling himself to them. This is what our God does. Colossians 1, verses 19 and 20, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile himself to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Okay, I'm gonna catch this. By making peace through his blood shed on the cross. See, our God is a reconciler and has provided Jesus in his blood to reconcile what is lost to himself. But that type of peace doesn't mean life is easy. That doesn't peace, that that type of peace doesn't mean there's no struggle, there's no trouble. So our God is restoring one relationship at a time, restoring everything to peace because everything started in peace. 
But in John 16, verse 33, Jesus says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. I love it, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And so he is reconciling us by making peace through his blood. He has given us Christ who has overcome this world. There will be troubles, but despite the storms of life, you and I, we can have peace. We can experience this fruit because of Jesus. You see, your Bibles are bookended with a garden and a throne room. A garden of peace and there's a throne of peace. These two pillars of peace. And in between all these chapters, between Genesis 2 and Revelation 22, there are countless people on a journey looking for a peace that can only be found in the one who is declared in Luke 2 to bring peace on this earth and who is identified as Isaiah 9, the prince of peace. And in between these two bookends, the garden and the throne room, where the lamb is gonna reign forever in peace, there's only been one human who has perfectly walked, perfectly embodied this peace. And LFC, his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. We just sang about him. And there's one classic text in Mark 4, Let's turn there. Mark 4, we're going to be in verses 35 through 41. There's one classic text where we see Christ living this peace in the midst of a storm. Mark 4, verses 35 through 41. Well, that day when evening came, he, Jesus, said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. And there were also other boats with him. So Jesus had had a a pretty full day of ministry. Some parables, some miracles. It's the day of the life of Jesus. And he's going from one side of the Sea of Galilee to the other. It's time to transition Space, right? We're gonna, we need to leave these people. We're gonna go serve these people. Transition's happening. And Jesus and his disciples, them being mainly fishermen, they form a regatta, right? They're going on a boat ride. It's a lot quicker to go by boat than to walk around that sea. So they hop in their boat. And they begin to traverse across the sea. And in verse 37, there's something that disturbs that regatta. It's a furious squall. A furious squall comes up and the waves broke over the boat so that was nearly swamped. Now many of us, you've you've been in a canoe or a two-person kayak. Have you ever been in that canoe with someone who's kind of a goofball? I heard, a, I heard a yes. You know, you're, so that person is kind of wiggling a ton. Maybe they're four, you know, and they're, they're kind of leaning away on the side. And you see water begin to spill in that boat. And you're not really worried because it's just a lake that you're canoeing in. But you're worried about your cell phone or the camera. Or you're worried about your hair. 
right? This is, this is a, the, the worries are, are pretty minimal in that canoe on a small lake, but in a sea with a furious squall and water crashing over those boats, these disciples weren't, weren't worried about their hair. Just put it that way. But Jesus, Jesus was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. And the disciples woke him and said, Jesus, Jesus, teacher, don't you care if we drown? They're, they're kind of freaked out. Well, Jesus gets up, rebukes the wind, and said to the waves, quiet. Be still. Another version says, peace. Be still. Reminds me of Psalm 46.10. God, through David, is telling us to be still and know that I am God. He's saying the same thing to nature in that moment. And the wind dies down and it was completely calm. Nature listens to this guy named Jesus. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey this guy. I think the storm was part of that day's curriculum. The, the storm allowed Jesus to teach these disciples a lesson that they needed to learn. And I think it is either teaching us that same lesson or reminding us of a lesson we've already learned that Jesus can be trusted in the storms of life. They could see that Jesus was perfectly at peace, even in the midst of the storm. And I bet they unconsciously or maybe consciously felt that contrast. Wait, he's asleep, and my heart rate is spiking. What's the difference here? How does he have peace, and I don't, as a disciple in that boat? You see, Jesus was in God's will and knew that the Father would care for him, so he took a nap. He rested, and he slept, and he trusted. And while he slept, he was able to do so because he was truly secure in God's will for his life. Note this, that Jesus fixed the circumstance no more surfing on those waves. But it, it didn't get rid of their fear. Even when it was calm, they were still terrified. See, the circumstance was smoothed out. And these guys went from fearful to terrified, even though he fixes the circumstance. Because peace is not circumstantial. It's not situational. Peace is relational. And they were still terrified because they said it. They didn't know who this guy was. They still didn't have this relationship with Christ and his father. Even though 
They were walking and living with him. So when the storms come crashing into your life, what do you do when a storm hits? Do you take a nap, figuratively or literally? Or do you worry? Like these disciples, uh, who, what or who are you trusting in? How do you handle these storms actually exposes quite a bit because it exposes what we're trusting in or better yet, who we're not trusting in. Question this morning is, in those moments, do you ooze peace? I've mentioned the word peace a number of times this morning. I should have had someone count been fascinating. I think it's a really elusive concept because in its fullness, as Paul said in Philippians 4, it transcends all understanding. We don't fully understand that, which then leads us to look for and be satisfied with the small snippets that we find outside of God. I think pursuing peace is hard work. It's heart work. And what I've found is that it often comes as a result of engaging in conflict. And it's that, that conflict that then, as I've just mentioned, exposes what we actually trust in. It's often the dissonance of life that squeezes us, allowing to see what actually oozes out. So in an effort to describe peace, again, I'd like to note three relationships that are drastically affected by this character trait. First of all, note that peace with God is a result of conflict. Peace with God comes as a result of a crucifixion. It's the ultimate conflict. Someone had to die so that peace can actually be a thing, right? So this peace with God originates with the Prince of Peace in Isaiah 9, Luke 2 at Christ's birth. The angels rejoicing and saying, glory to God in the highest and peace to those on whom his favor rests. Last week we sang a Christmas song. Today we read a Christmas text. Look at that. You see in Ephesians 2 that we are by nature objects of wrath. But God, verse 4, who is rich in mercy loved us enough to send a son. Farther in Ephesians 2, verses 13 and 14, you begin to see how he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. And he, Jesus, came to preach peace to you who were far away and peace to those who are near. Our justification in Romans chapter five, verse one. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. You see in the repetition here, there's a lot of scripture that supports this concept of peace with God has come through a person, this prince of peace. 
and is not circumstantial. It is not situational. It doesn't matter about the setting because it's relational. You can taste peace, the peacefulness of the ocean, the vastness of it, but you can't experience it outside of Jesus. Second relationship is with yourself. We see that peace with God comes through conflict, comes through a crucifixion. Well, peace within yourself actually comes through a second crucifixion. Galatians 2, verse 20 says that I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but it is Christ who lives with me. The, the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see this in Colossians 3, verse 3, for you have died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. He fast forwards to verse 5 and says, put to death therefore all that is earthly within you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desires, and greed, which is covetous or idolatry. Fast forward a little bit more, and he says, but now you must put them all away. You must put off anger, rage, malice, slander, and obscene joking that comes from your mouth. What does that look like? It's called dying to self. There's another death that has to occur Galatians 5 calls it to our sinful nature so we can walk by his spirit in our spiritual nature. So peace with God comes through Jesus. Peace within this calm inner confidence in what's been done on our behalf, allowing us to rest in the midst of any storm. It comes through these crucifixions. The storms are going to hit. And they are going to be real. The emotions are real. The fears are real. The hurts are real. This peace doesn't erase that. No. But what it does do is it, it helps us navigate those things. It doesn't negate them. It helps us navigate them. And so this confidence that we can have in God through Jesus by walking in his spirit, changes the way we respond in the midst of the storm. I, the problem is, as many of us don't take the time to, to work on or identify some of these internal issues because we want deliverance from the situation rather than the peace that God provides. I, we just want it to be easy. So many of our prayers or our hopes are just for easy and comfort rather than Christ. We got to remember in Romans 8 that those who think about the mind set on the flesh will lead to death. But the mind that is focused on the spirit will bring life and peace. See, we can have peace with God through Jesus and his crucifixion that then births an internal peace within us, allowing us then to externally extend it to those around us. Peace with other people often comes because there is conflict. There's some sort of, I said it earlier, dissonance. There's some sort of issue going on. We've had several sermons in the past few years on peacemaking, 
versus peacekeeping. Think about the beatitude, Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will become children of God. We had premarital counseling. My wife and I did this yesterday with a, a young couple. And we talked on conflict. If you're married, <laughs> you understand what conflict looks like. It, it happens. It's part of relationship. And what we reminded this couple again and again is what makes a relationship work is not the absence of sin, it's the abundance of grace. What's gonna make that relationship work is not trying to be perfect and never having conflict. What's going to make that relationship work is responding in grace in the midst of it. And we can do that because of what Christ has done for us and the spirit he's given us, allowing us to live it. And so peace with others comes through a crucifixion, Christ's crucifixion, as well as your own. Galatians 2. Have you ever been there? All the storms are crashing in around you, and you actually experience God's peace. That cancer, a doctor says, calls, says, you have cancer. The storm, your health is crashing in. Or you see someone on their deathbed and they have a peace that transcends all understanding. A confidence. Or maybe you've lost a job and in the midst of it, you're, you know, this stinks, but God who's rich in mercy, is going to carry me through this. Or maybe you are dating and you've just broken up with the person you think you are gonna marry. And yet you have peace in the midst of that relational tension. See, this peace doesn't make sense. The world looks at it and sees a crummy circumstance, but yet they see a confidence oozing out of you. Have you ever felt that? And it's so hard to put into words why you trust. You don't fully understand how it got there, how it exists, but you're just blessed by it and overcome, in a sense, by this peace that transcends all understanding. Have you ever tasted that? Real quick, as the band comes out, I'm gonna read Philippians 4, if you'd like to turn there with me, and we're gonna close out with a couple quick applications from this text. Philippians 4, verse four. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all, for the Lord is near. And do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, finally, LEFC, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, Put them into practice, and the God of peace 
will be with you. Philippians 4 begins to explain a little bit of what this peace looks like. He starts in verse four, he says, rejoice. No, 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 let me say it again, rejoice. So important, he repeats it, right? He repeats this exhortation to rejoice. It kind of gives the picture of, I think he means it. But this isn't always easy. And I I think there are probably many of you in this room who are saying, Matt, I'm in a spot right now where the last thing I wanna do is give God glory because my life stinks. A, B, C, D, and E are happening in my life right now, God. And God's not present, obviously, so I'm tired of this. See, I don't, I think what's happening in that moment is that we have a, a, a skewed perspective of what perception of what rejoice actually is, what it means to give him glory. I think we think of rejoicing as that it has to be really bubbly and woo, yay, God, awesome. You know, it's a celebratory rejoice. And I think it can be that, but I don't think it it's not limited to that. Rejoicing is giving him the glory in the midst of whatever is going on. Remember, Jesus says in Matthew 11, come to me, all who are wearied and burdened, and I will give you rest. And so those of you who are tired or anxious or sad this morning, God invites you to come into his arms. We can, we just saying it, run to his arms because he is good. And in that moment, that is rejoicing. God, we're saying, God, you're good. I thank you in the midst of this storm. And as we do that, Philippians 4 tells us, then to let your gentleness be evident to all. LAFC, your character matters. We'll preach on gentleness in a couple weeks here. It's part of this nine, these nine character traits but your character matters. What you say and what you do still matters. God doesn't want us to be complainers and self-consumed. So rejoice, giving him the glory, and then watch what you say, watch what you do. Your gentleness matters. He's saying, but don't be anxious. The, The world gives us a lot of reasons to worry. And in light of God being on our side, the fact that he is near, all worry should fade we can nap in the midst of whatever storm you're going through. He said, don't worry, but I want you to pray. And I want you to pray with thanksgiving. Goes back to that rejoicing. God, thanks for this. Thanks for this. See what he is doing in the midst of the storms. And then bring your requests to him. Own it. God, this is hard. I am tired. I am worried. I am, insert emotion, insert feeling. Talk to him about that. The God who created the universe cares enough for you to invite you to bring these requests to him. Why don't we? Ask the God of peace to recalibrate your heart in your responses and actually give you the spirit of peace. If you feel off, well then ask him for it. 
So then what happens when in the midst of our trials, we rejoice, retain composure and character and pray with thanksgiving and petition? Verse seven happens. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And when we refuse to get sucked black back into this black hole of negativity, even though I think some of us like that, actually we choose that. When we refuse to get sucked back into that, but instead recalibrate our faith in the Lord, we are overcome by this unexplainable peace. And it's that peace that will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. LAFC, these emotions are real. Their hurts are real. The feelings are real. Don't ignore them. Live in them. Don't try to hide from them. His peace isn't situational or circumstantial. It's relational. It's through Jesus. And in the midst of those very real experiences and emotions, turn to him because he is near. So finally, LEFC, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, whatever is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things and the God of peace will be with you. You won't be alone. This is the God we can recalibrate to, pursue him, the God of peace through his son, the Prince of Peace. You'll be able to receive his spirit, the one who produces in us a peace, a fruit that's described as peace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the grace you've given us. More importantly, we thank you for your spirit and the peace we can now have because of Jesus. We love you, Lord. We're grateful this morning to worship the God of peace.
So today, Colossians 3, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. You're gonna have a choice today, LAFC. And your choice is this, either to trust God's promises, letting his peace rule, or to rely on ourselves and reject the peace that he offers. Peace is a fruit of the spirit. And so if we are allowing the spirit of God to rule in our lives, we will experience his peace. Remember, Romans 8, to be spiritual-minded means life and peace. The Apostle Paul often bookends his, his epistles with grace and peace. You see him mention this time and time again. And so this morning, I'd like to conclude by reading three of his benedictions. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. May the God, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Romans 15, verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And second Thess, chapter three, verse 16. May the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. May the Lord be with all of you. LEFC, we love you. I hope you have a great day today. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord.